One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Every now and again a footballer produces a performance so bad, so far below their best level that you find yourself watching from the couch as you struggle to open your second pack of biscuits because of your limited dexterity. Nevertheless, you find yourself watching from the couch thinking, if I was out there today playing for Chelsea Football Club, could I do a better job than Romelu Lukaku is doing? Hi everyone, welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi Ken, hi Murph. Hey, how's it going? Playing for one of the top teams with some of the greatest players in the league around you willing to feed you the ball you've got 57% possession well you you definitely don't have 50% possession yourself your team does and yet you end up with only seven touches it surely it's tempting to believe that anybody listening to this podcast could get out there and touch the ball eight times which would be one more than the contribution of 97.5 million pound man Romelu Lukaku am I being fanciful would, would we just get absolutely swamped with the pace of the game and be so exhausted after three minutes that yeah, we, would. Uh, you'd, we would just wouldn't get one touch of the we ball? We are talking about a touch, though. You know what I mean? You're, we're not even saying you need to do something constructive with it after that. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, two of his touches were just basically him being offside and setting up a goal that was disallowed because he was offside. <laughs> uh, not saying I could have even done that necessarily, but, you know, mm. I'm just, it just it just had me dreaming. It was one of those performances that had me dreaming, Ken, that's all. It was unfortunate also that, that for Lukaku that his no-show was quickly followed by Harry Kane producing one of the great displays of all-round centre-forward play. And, of course, Shane Long. Let's not forget Shane mm-hmm. Long coming off the bench with Anton and scoring with his first touch of the ball. That was the real, I thought the real economical, efficient centre-forward display of the weekend. I just wish he hadn't clambered over Seamus Coleman to score his first goal in two years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I like, if, if Shane Long's going to score a goal, can it please not be, you know... At the expense of yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like one of our other players. Yeah, well, mm. that's true enough. Jim, Jack Pitbrook and Mark Critchley are on the show today. There's Champions League during the week at Atletico Madrid against Man United on Wednesday night is the standout tie. If you want to hear our analysis of that one, you're going to have to become a member for Thursday's football pod secondcaptains.com five or a month plus fat plenty of sport to report on today Kenny yeah I mean you start with Lukaku there on um, 
I mean, dwelling on the negative, I think, on a magnificent, what was a magnificent weekend of football. Uh, a lot of exciting football being played by St. Patrick's Athletic just down the road here. Uh, oh yeah, poor Duffer already up to his knees in the in the old shite. Well, a bit higher than that, I think. I mean, I, th- I think the original quote was that it's always at your knees. So even on oh, your that's best right. it day, starts at your knees. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I mean, probably needs the thigh high waders at this point. Um, I'd say the belly button is filling uncomfortably. Well, it's only the first game of the season, steady on there. Like, I mean, there's still plenty of time to to get things going. You know, we don't we don't um, we don't hit the panic button on day one. You know, mm. I hope we don't. Anyway, what a statement though from Sam Pats. And their midfield maestro, Chris Forrester. What what a year I'm going to have watching Chris Forrester. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was obviously a good start of the season. Other games ended up getting called off uh, because of the terrible weather, which affected uh, games all across the continent, let's say. Uh, and certainly, no, uh, Ellen Road... Uh, a review from one person who watched the game. Well, what a lot of nonsense that was. Uh, what a pity the weather ruined the game uh, and prevented us from seeing the 90 minutes of nonsense the managers had planned. Uh, <laughs> 90 minutes of complete nonsense that Rob Rangnick and Marcelo Bielsa would have cooked up but were prevented from showing us by the uh, by the chaotic conditions. Um, but going back to the Kaku one, that is that is amazing. So so he had seven touches. One of those touches was a um, was kicking the ball off in the first half. Uh, he only touched the ball one more time in that first in that half. In the first half, yeah. This is a record, um, a Premier League low uh, since they have been recording this data. Now that's more feasible. I should have gone with that. What? Place yourself in that Chelsea team, having kicked the ball off. Would you back yourself to touch the ball? Twice more over the course of a half. I'm going to say yes. Ah, oh, come on. I'm going to say yeah, but look, you know, you're not, you're twice. not looking at it. You're not, you're okay, but you're not. This isn't fair, right? Because you would back yourself to go out there on the field as somehow you're involved in this Premier League team. You're not going to be instantly spotted and substituted immediately, mm-hmm. and you're going to you, you. Your aim is to touch the ball more than two times. And one of those times, one of those times, you've actually kicked off. So you just I've, need I've to kicked off. So just need need two more to beat Lukaku in the first half, or one more to. Now match I think that it would be possible to do that if yeah. you played with the sole intention of getting a touch on the ball. Mm-hmm. But of course, that's not what Lukaku is doing. Lukaku is, I imagine, passive aggressively fulfilling his uh, function within mm-hmm. Thomas Tuchel's system, um, uh, one in which I suppose he. Uh, is starved of possession. For yes. some reason, they're not playing to his strengths. I would need Thomas Tuchel to build a game plan around me more so than he's doing with Lukaku right now. Well, can we hear from Thomas Tuchel? Thomas Tuchel was yeah. talking a little bit about the game plan because, of course, you know the, for- the fortunes of players aren't completely independent from the game plan. So perhaps Lukaku was the victim of the game plan. Perhaps uh, he is the, uh, you know, what is it? Those who walk away from Omelas. He's the unhappy child. Uh, trapped in a dungeon, whose suffering makes the happiness mm. of the rest of the <laughs> city possible. Is that is that a fair reflection of things, Tom? Still, no, no, it's not about system. Can you elaborate the seven touches today? As a coach, what do you see from that? Well, it is what it is, but it is uh, for him no change of system because it's the the same attacking structure. We always attack in a four-one. It's just for the build-up. Sometimes we attack in a, uh, we build up in a three-two, and sometimes in a four-one. For him, uh, change nothing. 
Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. so, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel like Tuchel is too sympathetic towards mm. the lack of contribution no. from Lukaku. I mean, the, 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 the person asking the questions, you know, pretty much gave Tuchel a chance to say something, you know, vaguely charitable about Lukaku. You know, a chance that Tuchel in Lukaku style spurned. Uh, yeah, it's not it's not a good relationship. It's not a good relationship between these guys. And okay, maybe there is um, maybe there's an element whereby the system doesn't suit Lukaku. Uh, I mean, it's 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 maybe not a game that suits him. Playing against Crystal Palace for Chelsea, um, Chelsea dominating the ball against the team that's sitting back. You know, four five one for Palace, sixty percent of the ball for Chelsea. Lots of passing ball around in front of, you know, not, not not really much space, not much momentum, none of the kinds of... I mean, as we know, Lukaku likes to run into space. You know, we all love space, and he and he more than most. And uh, there wasn't any in this. So, and then, you know, the, maybe the he's being used as a decoy. Maybe a lot of the play is, is you know, with, with all the attacking midfielders in the team. Still, though, the point is that they've been collecting this data... For this is the nineteenth season of it since I was three or four. Is that nineteen? Um, is that correct? Something like that. Eighteen or nineteen, and uh, <laughs> that in in that data set, you get lots of strikers uh, who are playing for teams in self-sacrificing roles that don't really suit their games. Uh, you know, you've got lots of players who are, who are being set up. You got you've got players who are being set up to fail by managers who hate them. Uh, you know, you've got every, you've got the whole uh, gamut of football experience out there, and every single one of those players got more touches than Romelu Lukaku, <laughs> right? And this, and again, for a team that had sixty percent of the ball, <laughs> so realistically, you know, you should be, you should be able to get on the ball a little bit more, and that's a, it's a, it's a shocking, it's a, it's a stunning moment really in his season, uh, and indicative of the, of the sort of crisis really that. Um, that his relationship with Chelsea yeah, and with really. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't sound good. You know that that sort of answer from Tuchel afterwards as well. He's not offering any support to the player there, as no. Murph pointed out. He's he's been given the opportunity to, and you know I don't know if is he still harboring ill will from Lukaku's interview because if he is, I think he has to be a bit a bit bigger than that. You know, like he hauled him over to Coles. It was the same issue though in the interview. Remember that really pissed Tuchel off. Yes. Yeah. That. That. Yes. But it's all. Oh no. It's all. It's all completely. Um, completely connected I know that's what my, my, my inference there is that it seems like he probably is still he he seems to um, you know feel that that Lukaku has done enough moaning even though the moaning finished a long time ago and was simply a one-off and, and needs to find his way into Tuchel's system which doesn't seem to be working and it's not good for Chelsea because like this no. is the whole thing at the start of the season was how this is the signing that's changed things and is going to win them the league and it was almost just commonly accepted for the first few games um, but since then it's been like you know I mean it's turning into a bit of a nightmare really yeah um, well you know if you look at it's 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 been the 100 million euro transfer that's that's failed and well uh, like most of the transfers in that price range they're all failures Um I mean, if you look at them, Neymar is a, is the top. We'll we'll hear a bit from Neymar today. Neymar is number one. I mean, has he been a total failure? I mean, I think it's been a bit disappointing. You know, he's by far the most expensive player in history, and 
it hasn't really worked out that well and he has spent a lot of the time trying to escape and go back to Barcelona mm. um, which only really failed because Barcelona collapsed as a result of how they spent the money they received for Neymar and you know he's had repeated injuries at key moments of the season and he's been booed by his own supporters so I wouldn't say it had been perfect not as bad as Coutinho who's you know also on the list um, at, at Barcelona you know we, we know about that Dembele is next you know another mega flop Joao Felix at Atletico Madrid has not been too good. I mean, he's, he's a player with a lot of ability. Maybe it's not over for him. He's a big game maybe coming up this week against Manchester United. But, like, you know, so far uh, it hasn't been great. Griezmann uh, was the player Joao Felix was bought to replace. He's obviously now boomerang back to Atletico Madrid after his €120 uh, million Euro transfer to Barcelona. was was a complete bomb. Uh, Grealish is on the list. Um, he's the most expensive English player uh, again. He's he's basically disappeared. I mean, just looking at his, his season, it's been so pitiable. He, you know, you were saying, um, Kieran, it's like uh, the, the one of the grimmest aspects of Grealish's thing is just the knowledge that like I haven't made any difference here. They don't miss me mm. at all. Or it makes no difference if I'm not here. If I had to yeah, call in yeah. sick for work, there would be yeah, no nobody would miss me. <laughs> no, and it's like his his goals and assists have come in games where like you know one of them I think was a seven nil, one of them was a five nil. Like he hasn't even there hasn't even been a game in which he has done something in, in the league and maybe the Champions League. I'm not I'm not one hundred percent sure in the Champions League, but in the league he hasn't done something which has affected the result. You know what mm. I mean? Like he, he's yeah. just added superfluous goals <laughs> uh, to or the games which are already won. What it, Greenish is? It's like it's the sixth sense. Like he is like Bruce Willis in the sixth sense. Like it's like <laughs> is he even there? You know, he thinks the but like is he even really there on the? Is, is he affecting things in any way? Okay, so that's another one. So, so I mean, we're looking at Phil these. Phil Foden signs, could have right? just got out by himself. You know, it's like, sure, we appear to see Grealish with him, but when you look back through the tape, would it, was does even, it actually, was he, was he even there? Was he ever even there? Ronaldo, Ronaldo is on this list, but this is for his transfer to Juventus, though, which was not really a, a, a total success. I mean, obviously, he scored many goals in all competitions, but uh, it didn't, um, he didn't win the competition that he was signed to win. Uh, then you've got Lukaku, and then you've got Eden Hazard at Real Madrid, who's a, a, you know like an absolute Christmas turkey, like an overstuffed turkey, uh, who is who, who. So I mean that's amazing. And oh, and then there's Kylian Mbappe, and Kylian Mbappe has been has been pretty good. Um, so if I'm looking if I'm looking at these signings, there is one player out of the ten that I've mentioned. Who's signing for in the hundred million euro plus range has been an unqualified success. I would say that's Kylian Mbappe, um, uh, and otherwise, it's basically spending this much money isn't is no guarantee of success. But it does usually cause problems. I mean, not necessarily always as big problems as, as it did at Barcelona, where it kind of gutted the club financially with, with the Coutinho and, and Dembele and Griezmann. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there's a bit of uh, blame to be kicked around the club and Tuchel is just basically saying, this is not my fault. Um, anyway, look, we don't want to be necessarily just talking about that because there was incredible uh, football played. Uh, you fell into my trap there, Ken. You fell into me focusing on Lukaku at the start. Mr. Negative. Yeah. Mr. Negative, Owen. Uh, well, when I was being Mr. Positive, I was trying to give us all a chance to, all of us regular Joe Soaps, a chance to dream of possibly emulating actual professional footballers. So what, what are the good things that are happening anyway? What about Harry Kane? Oh? What about that Harry Kane? Wow. What about wow. that Harry Kane? Best performance in Premier League history? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, I thought it was good. It was a good performance. It was very good. Um, 
uh, and uh, and it sort of uh, opens things up unexpectedly again. It was, a t- the- it was a type of performance that not that many players could give. You know, even some of the players, even some of the best players in Premier League history might necessarily didn't necessarily have as many strings at her bow as Kane has in the sense that he's able to pick a pass like he did as well as score his goals and really should have scored a should have scored a third goal the pass in particular for the first goal and that they scored early on yeah it was a great um it's it's sort of the opposite of the Lukaku Tuchel failure to understand each other failure to communicate failure to find a, a way of working together whereas Conte and Kane have uh, have evidently established a fairly fruitful um, partnership uh, in terms of Conte for this game. At any rate, because I mean, Conte had they you know they had lost the previous three, and some, some of those games were pretty bad from a Tottenham point of view. But here they are at the playing the toughest game of the season, albeit not you know not not necessarily the toughest game for Tottenham because Tottenham do have a, have a decent record against Manchester City I mean most teams don't have a great record against them Tottenham's is, is as good as as as, uh, as anyone's really um, uh, you know they, they have done the double over them now which is kind of stunning really when you look at the, the seasons that the, the respective seasons that the teams have had but the Conte sets the team up really brilliantly I mean with a, with a plan which unlocks City twice from just from open play this is the this, I think, is the great thing about it, because I saw people sort of comparing it to um, uh, previously when Conte was the Chelsea manager and they played City, it was Guardiola City in the 16-17 season, and Chelsea beat them 3-1. You remember that was the, the game when Aguero ended up getting sent off for this insane chest-high attack on David Luiz, but uh, it was 3-1 to Chelsea on the day. Um, it was City scored the first goal, but it was Gary Cahill's own goal from like a set piece. And then it was uh, Diego Costa. Um, Diego Costa basically uh, onto a long ball from the back, just chested it past Automendi. Remember that when City used to have Automendi, the, the days when City used to used to give people a sporting chance. Ah, oh, go, we'll pick Automendi. You know, <laughs> they had Automendi in the team for years. You know, and it was just. But they, those days, those days obviously are gone. They've they've changed their attitude but you know Costa Chester passed Automani and he scored and then the next one was a, a counter-attack Costa passes it to William who runs through and just boots the ball um, into the middle of the goal which Costa had also done for his goal Pass Bravo remember when City used to have Bravo in goal um, <laughs> again everyone had a chance City used to have Bravo you know you just need to get a shot on target <laughs> it was as good as a goal when they had, uh, so that was the, and then the, the third goal was Hazard you know Hazard the this, I was, obviously, I was watching this yesterday, uh, which is how it's also fresh in my memory, yeah. which you know doesn't work anymore. But uh, <laughs> has, Hazard just uh, a blur, like just everything about him. It was incredible just to see the speed and the, the skill of Hazard just runs through again and, and smashes the ball past Bravo. Uh, but these the goals were all, I mean, one of them was is great center forward play, you know, like traditional center forward play by Costa, you know, we gets a long ball out of the air, gets past, you know, wrestles his way past the defender and smashes it in. And then two counterattacks. Whereas this, these Tottenham goals, the first and second goal, are both moves, like uh, against the City team that's set. You know, City are City are all set up to go. You know, it's like, okay, you've, you've got the ball. Like, they both start with uh, Lloris at the back, you know? And um, usually you can't, you can't get through City. Never mind 
knifing through them the way that Tottenham did on a couple of occasions. And this is only possible because of the fact that it's all pre-rehearsed. You know, like Tottenham are doing stuff here, which is like uh, everyone knows what they're about to do. And it's just a question of can they actually, can they pull off this move? But like the move is there where everybody knows it. You know, it's like a pre-programmed play. And uh, the first the first goal was a brilliant example of it. The second goal was a bit messier because, you know, for instance, you know, it was a bit of a more complicated move. Ruben Diaz manages to clear it, but it was the same basic ideas mm. uh, of you know get get make space for Kane, have Son on the run, and uh, have one find the other and see what see if you can then profit. And uh, yeah, it was it was brilliant. And you know, City themselves. I mean, in, on another day, obviously, would have easily won the game. Had had most of the possession, had, you know, 20 shots, only four on target. I think Tottenham had more shots on target. Uh, and had so Tottenham had better chances because a lot of their chances arrived, you know. They, it was like Harry Kane arriving in front of the goal. You know, it's like, well. Uh, but it was, it was, uh, it was brilliant, really. Um, brilliant by Tottenham. And, uh, I mean, although I see, I see Eric Dyer saying, you know, it just shows if we, if we take this win the right way, uh, recognize what we need to do to get results we, uh, if we take it with humility, we can understand as a team we can be very good. Um, but then again, uh, very good against a team like City um, is not necessarily very good against a team like you know the the ones Lukaku was struggling against Crystal Palace. You know who are going to give you a yeah. different type of a different type of problem. But uh, Tottenham showed at least that uh, with Kane and Son and Kulusevski had a great game as well. Uh, that they they can they can solve a problem like City. And it's a question of whether anyone else. Uh, can follow their lead in that. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, that's the bigger, not for Tottenham fans, for Tottenham fans, the big thing is their win and what it might mean for them. But in the grander scheme of things, just with Liverpool winning earlier in the day, this happens, lead is down to six now and will be uh, with the game in hand. So this is a, like, this is a proper title race back on kind of job. Well, because Liverpool are going very well, you know, and you look at what Liverpool are doing, and, and and this is the weird thing about it, because actually, if you look at City's record over the last three months, it's better than Liverpool's. <laughs> so how does it feel as though Liverpool's, Liverpool are the ones who have momentum? And the reason is obviously that Liverpool, Liverpool basically died over Christmas, or, or their, their title challenge fizzled out. That was where they lost the ground. And now that they've made up a little bit of ground again, it's like, oh, they're, you know, they're coming like a train. But in fact, over the last three months, City have... City are the ones who have pulled away. You know, it's just sort of this narrative-driven thought that we're all yeah. subject to. Um, but at the moment, Liverpool are, are going well and have like a very, um, a very strong-looking squad. Although, admittedly, they they, they were missing Nenjoda and and Firmino was injured. Uh, they were they were both injured for the for the game against Norwich. Um, although they think Jota will be back soon, Firmino may, maybe will be out for a bit longer, and. You know when when you when they can make the changes that like I mean they rest they made seven changes from the inter game so they were able to rest Trent Alexander Arnold completely, um, you know which clearly they wouldn't do if it was if if they were playing against the stronger team than Norwich you would imagine that you know they they couldn't afford to rest the player who's as important to them as that, um, but the fact that they did that uh, were able to bring in other players and then when things were going bad were able to com- were able to change the team again off the bench. Uh, you know, that brought on Thiago had a huge impact from the bench. Previously, it had been uh, Keita in the in the in Keita and Henderson in the game against Inter. So they've got, for the first time that I can remember in a long time, they have depth, which um, which is like cities. 
You know, like, mm-hmm. there used to be this sort of sense of, well, you know, we both have a pretty good, they, they have pretty comparable first 11s. But, you know, if you, if you sort of chip away the, the first couple of players, then there's nothing like that in reserve. Well, Liverpool do have this in reserve now. Um, this, is all, uh, this is all pretty embarrassing for you, though, Ken, isn't it? How so? I mean, you had, you had said, like, last month that City are running away with the league, it's joyless, uh, they're killing football, and now it turns out they're not even going to win the league this year. Well, it's a question of... I mean, first of all, I think you've failed to understand... Not for the first time, failed to understand... <laughs> the, failed to understand my point. It's stone um, age stuff that I've heard from you this it did seem. It did, it did seem I'm impossible. An, I'm an agent of chaos. I'm an agent provocateur. That's all, Ked, please. It did Let seem, me do my work. Uh, con- confusion and misunderstanding is, uh, is a fundamental building block of chaos. It's true. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it did seem impossible that City could blow this title race, um, given the lead they had and, you know, with all the... The um, sort of advantages uh, that are theirs, but what do you know? I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they are about to do it. I don't. I still don't think so. I still. I still remain to be. I still remain to be convinced. But the, but it wasn't so much that the that the that they'd made the title race boring by being too good. It was more to do with the emotional response that their team actually produces. It was more specific to them. It wasn't to do with the title race or, you know, what they're doing to well, what they're doing to football. I mean, you know, there is that element of. Uh, do we really want to go down this road again? Is this how, what we want to spend our Monday? Really? I think we're. I think we're all right. Relitigating the man, man City's money, where it comes from, and you know whether. Yeah, look. Um, it did. Yeah, it it seemed impossible that they're going to blow it, and and I see that they're still heavy favourites. So um, where else do you want to go? You mentioned Neymar there earlier on. Yeah, Paris Saint Germain, like City, had the the Champions League hangover, and lost three one to Nantes. They were three 0 down at half time. They scored through Neymar uh, early in the second half. A, br- a brilliant uh, link up, a, a vintage Messi Neymar link up. Then got a penalty, which Neymar decided to take, and he took the worst penalty. That do you remember? Uh, you, you've probably seen the Pat Nevin, the famous Pat Nevin mm. penalty for Chelsea, mm. uh, which he's been. Wilfred Zaha had a recent, had a very recent contender for worst penalty ever as well. Yeah, well, that was he kicked it like about uh, four or five meters wide. Was that Zaha's? Yeah, one? he slipped and, and kicked the ball yeah. off a standing foot in Zaha's case. And ah, okay, right. Wide. Well, Neymar just complete. It was just like a sort of a as though he just was overcome by ennui and uh, as he made his way to the spot. <laughs> you know, Neymar has the has the sort of very um, specialized sort of penalty run up technique where he kind of he runs in a sort of a question mark. Shape and he, you know, he shuffles his feet and he he tries to make the speed at which he's addressing the ball a bit, you know, unpredictable. But it was as though he was just overcome with a massive sense of I just couldn't be bothered. Like I just I just don't actually care enough to follow through with this. Uh, like in mid in mid run up to the ball, like it was it was like oh like a collapse of desire. You know that's what I that's that's the feeling that I have with Neymar. Uh, specifically with this penalty, but more generally with his whole career, like he, he, you know, we were talking about this recently. Like I just kind of feel like Neymar doesn't—he's just not interested anymore. Mm. Like he's—he's he's just numbed, or he's sort of deadened inside. Like he can't—he just can't—he can't even fake it anymore. And you know, he couldn't—he couldn't quite manage to, to kick this ball properly. Like it was just one of those where he, it's like he's basically passed it to the goalkeeper. You know, the goalkeeper just has to bend down and pick it up, sort of thing. And I was like, what was that? And then after that, Paris didn't do anything. 
he he was doing a, a podcast. Um, uh, he he managed to at least look semi engaged at times in this podcast with uh, the the Phenomeno podcast, uh, co presented by Ronaldo Phenomeno, uh, Ronaldo Nazario, and some other guy who is you know to me is like unidentified fan, but it's presumably some super celebrity in Brazil, you know, with like a billion um, followers on social media. And uh, Neymar is, is doing like a podcast with them, just talking about different things, talking about gaming, you know, where he says it's a, it's a place mm-hmm. where he can escape from the real world, can play, have fun, laugh, forget about the games I've lost, my injury and all that stuff. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> you make your career sound like so, so sad. Uh, he, 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 you know, he, he talks about basketball. He supports the Lakers and the Warriors. Uh, his favorite, what? yeah, his favorite player is LeBron and Steph Curry. Uh, he just he doesn't really <laughs> discriminate. He just he just admires great basketball. Uh, uh, he talked about you know playing for Brazil, um, and he says and he he comes out with some interesting stuff. He's like, you know, the national team has distanced itself from the fans. I don't know why, but I see it in the games. There's there's uh, people don't even know when we're going to play. It's bad. It's sad. In my generation. Uh, that this generation that I play for when the national team plays it's no longer important when I was a child the national team match was an event you put the Brazil flag in the window there was a barbecue there was cake everyone was at home it was quite an event today it no longer has that importance I don't know how we got to this stage I hope everything will come back the fans will once again support the Brazilian national team that we will go together in search of the World Cup and I thought, well, I mean, <laughs> back in the day, like you were watching the game with your family and now you have to play for the team. And you don't care about it and uh, it makes you sad. And <laughs> that's why it seems, <laughs> although, you know, I, I do think he's, you know, probably kind of helped the Brazil national team that the way that their federation has sort of used them as a, um, as a sort of cash cow over the last 25 years, you know, like selling them to Nike, having them tour. Like, they, you know, the Brazil were playing friendlies everywhere in the world apart from, you know, Brazil. You know, like, they, they wouldn't... They, they were kind of always in, in, like, Saudi Arabia or they were always getting paid, like, a couple of million dollars to turn up somewhere. And, you know, after a while, you know, these places are all, like, time zones, many time zones away from Brazil. After a while, it's sort of like, well, we seem to have lost some of our connection with the fans. Oh, well, it looked oh, like it mattered. There was, there was plenty of connection with the fans. That wasn't the problem when they were playing the World Cup at home. Mm. Um, I mean, maybe there was too much connection to the fans and there was so much emotion around that and uh, it went so flat with the 7-1 to Germany. I wonder, uh, did that end up uh, taking something away? I'm, I'm not close enough to those on the ground in Brazil to have a firm answer on that, but mm. it certainly uh, seemed to me like an obvious point where, uh, you know, y- you could imagine certainly a lot of... Because what's he talking about there? You're, if you're talking about football being central to everything that goes out, like to how a country feels about itself, all, a, lot of, a, lot of those, a lot of that is also bandwagon jumpers no more than here tournament based tournament based yeah you know you jump on board and you get excited and then you and then it ebbs away so maybe that's just what Brazil has to what Neymar has to accept Brazil is now just like every other just like most other countries in the world Uh, he was asked if he wants to go back to Brazil to play Mm, not sure Uh, he he suggests that he would quite like to play in major league soccer when asked why he said why do you think why do you think that's he what he like said, to... or what do you think we said? Why, why do you why do you think he fancies a uh, crack in MLS when he's when he's finished in Paris? So that he can watch his two favorite basketball teams play each other, <laughs> the Lakers and the Warriors. And the Warriors. Oh, I just can't make up my mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he wants to spread the word. He wants to grow football in America. 
No, no, no. He couldn't care less about that. He, uh, they well, got three we months. know he doesn't care less about it, but we, we did. We know the real reason why he's going. I just don't think he said it out loud. Well, what's which that? is vast sums of money. Oh no! I mean, he's playing for Paris Saint Germain. Like, he's, well, yeah, I but mean, when he's thirty, then he's hardly going to make well, more money and more money in uh, America than yeah, he's making. Yeah, and he's hardly going to go to America before he's forty-three or whatever. So, well, I, I'm not sure because he says keep the old gravy train rolling. Uh, I joke with my friends I will retire when I'm 32, he says. And you just imagine the friends going, is he joking? Or, I mean, you want to keep the show on the road for a couple more years more than that. But he goes, but it's just a joke. I don't know. Honestly, I will play until I'm mentally tired. If my mental health is okay, my body's well. Physically, I think I'll last a few years, but my mental health is the most important thing. My contract repairs will last until I'm 34. So I'll play at least until then. So again, he, he manages to make it sound like, oh, you know, I've got to just finish this contract. 34, you know, I'm, I'm just counting the days. But uh, no, the reason that he wants to go to Major League Soccer is, of course, their season is shorter. So he gets a much longer vacation uh, in which he doesn't have to think about football, which I just think it's, this is kind of amazing, you know. Um, Everything about this football career is brilliant, except for the bit where I have to play football in it. Well, I genuinely, like, I, I genuinely do feel kind of sorry for, for Neymar because I think, like, it's, there's a, you know... This sort of, like, uh, disillusionment. I mean, you know, you could say it's ridiculous. How could you feel sorry? You know, he, it's, it's ridiculous for him to sit there playing computer games and seeming kind of depressed. But, um, yeah, like, how, how has this happened? Like, I mean, he's one of the most talented players of the last 20 or 30. Like, I can't... Re- did this used to happen? Um, uh, it must have. I mean, you know, I'm thinking about it. Ronaldinho, Adriano. Actually, I don't have to I don't look too far. I don't have to look too far to find examples of sublimely talented players who seem to uh, to lose interest. But um, yeah, it's still a thing that's uh, going on. I see that um, Mbappe, uh, incidentally, there was a story by Duncan Castles in the Sunday Times yesterday, where uh, which, well, how's this for a gambit from Real Madrid? Kylian Mbappe has been warned that his childhood dream of playing for Real Madrid will remain forever unfulfilled should he backtrack on an informal agreement to join this final this summer. <laughs> Can you believe that? Madrid are apparently saying it's now or never, Killian. You know, if you walk out that door, if you if you sign again with Paris Saint-Germain, you can forget ever coming here. And, you know, if, if Florentino Perez said that to you, you're Killian Mbappe, do you believe him? <laughs> I'm not sure. I think, you know, ah, Flo, I think you can probably wait another season, you know, if I fancy staying here. But the interesting thing about this... Uh, article the interesting claim uh i mean they say that that mbappe has been offered a um a two-year or basically psg or so desperate to keep mbappe so that you know because for some reason it's very important to them to have messi mbappe and neymar all under contract when the qatar world cup happens which is to say in, in november december this year that they're they're so eager to keep them um, that they'll do anything to keep Mbappe and they'll, they're offering him way more money than Madrid are and on a two-year deal rather than because he, he was like I'm not signing another long-term contract they're like well what about a short-term contract why don't you sign a short-term contract how does that sound we'll pay you more than anyone can pay you and you're a young man you have plenty of years after that mm, maybe you know that might be might be interesting but the but the fact that uh, according to this article according to a source close to the player right Southern Castles two French presidents Emmanuel Macron and Nicolas Sarkozy have intervened to encourage Mbappe to stay at PSG. I mean, what? Like, I mean, whatever about Sarkozy. 
I thought Macron had had enough on his plate at the moment. You know, what was trying to secure world peace and so on, rather than you know having to like. But if this is true, I think it's actually quite it's quite amazing, isn't it? Like, I mean, imagine yeah. Macron like you know lobbying Mbappe on behalf of QSI, you know, the owners of. Paris Saint-Germain like to, to stay I mean whatever Sarkozy I'm sure will lobby <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time he'd lobby for these guys and it's not like he's got that much to do he is a former president after all um, but yeah I thought that was uh, that was pretty incredible I mean if true um, what's remarkable is not that like they'd go to such lengths to keep Mbappe but just that they're capable of getting Macron to sort of do them a favour like that is uh, I think quite remarkable We're going to talk Ireland now. Uh, delighted to say Ken Early from the Second Captains podcast, podcast uh, joins us. Just have a bit of balance, Ken. Mark, Mark O'Neill's record. Mark, Mark O'Neill's record. Hang on a minute. Did he get to the Euros? Did he get to the Euros, Ken? Martin O'Neill's record in the last yeah, he got to Euros. He got to he got to Euros. Yeah, he got to the Euros. He got to the got to the Euros. Yes, Euros yeah, he got to the Euros. Do you do you um, think you're going to get to the Euros with Stephen Kenny, Ken? Did he get to the Euros, Ken? Well, I mean, he'd have to be in charge for the for the next Euros. I mean, we did have a playoff to get to the Euros thanks to finishing bottom of the Nations League under Martin O'Neill. You know, literally, we finished bottom of the group. <laughs> Me and Michael, we're just sitting back and really enjoying this. I know, it's like, yeah. I can't listen, I can't listen to, to this rubbish talked about. Um, I just can't, I can't listen I, I can't, to this. I can't, 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 Ken, thank you very much for coming on and, and standing up to Grumpy Chops in the corner. It's been much appreciated. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to everyone, especially Chris. <laughs> well, quite a dramatic weekend in the Premier League to get stuck into with Jack Pitbrook, who covers Tottenham for the Athletic. Hi, Jack. How are you? Hey, good, thanks. And Mark Critchley, you were busy, Mark, for the Independent reporting from the Etihad, and then Ellen Road yesterday. How are things? Uh, yeah, I'm extremely tired, but good. <laughs> <laughs> well, two emotional roller coasters, those games, I suppose, yeah. Uh, maybe start with Spurs. I mean, that was the big result of the weekend. How dramatic was that to witness? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of like the... Obviously, with, with the Kane story, it was just the narrative that, you know, was it was it was almost the narrative that was the easiest one to write. So, you know, when, when Tottenham go ahead through, through Kane and, you know, there's the whole City context to it, I think everybody in the press box had basically written their reports, and then you have City obviously get the equaliser from the penalty spot in the last in, in, in stoppage time and rip everything up again, and then suddenly you're pressing Control Z or whatever it is on your keyboard to try and bring it all back because it was just extraordinary, and you know it, it just sets off the whole the whole debate about about the, the the same one that we've been having all season long about City and playing without a striker and should they have gone all out for Kane? I think like. Uh, at the end of it, you know, it, it was it was difficult to to argue against because he's obviously put on one of the best centre forward performances that you've seen in the Premier League for for years, I think. But uh, I kind of came away from it thinking, you know, like does it really change anything? It felt like a weekend, not just in that game, but it felt like a weekend where it felt like a lot of things changed. But did they really? You know, actually looking into it, you know, it, that seemed like a moment in the title race that could really open it up again but you, you kind of look at um just what Liverpool have to do now 
I was like, just, just putting it in the report afterwards, just checking the table. And you're like, okay, well, if they win every game uh, between now, if they win like their next five or six on the spin and then they beat City at the Etihad, well, then they might go above them on goal difference. And you think, well, that's that's quite a lot that they still have to do just to draw level. Um, and I just think maybe it was one of those weekends where there was all this high drama and it, it kind of shifted a lot of narratives and a lot of perceptions that we have around teams. But in the end, did actually much of it really change? Although you are assuming that City continues to win all their games. That's I mean, true. You, you yeah, just, you, you just take that win as, loads of as games a baseline as well. assumption. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it, but it, this is this is what's kind of weird about this because I mean I I don't know if it's just to do with the kind of I mean like the the way that you say you know everyone is pressing Control Z uh, trying to <clears throat> trying to bring back the report they've just deleted two minutes ago because <laughs> it's it's only relevant again because yeah. an event has happened and like everyone can only remember the last thing that's happened and maybe that's why it suddenly feels like Man City are under a bit of pressure. When you look at their record, it's insane. When did, when they go, you go back to November. It's in the meaningful games that they've played. It's nineteen wins, one draw, and one defeat. Again, which is the one that we just saw yesterday. So that's the only game they've lost. They they also lost the game against Orbi Leipzig, who, which was a dead rubber game. It didn't matter, and that's all. <laughs> like, how can a team with that record over the last three months suddenly feel like it's under pressure? Something. This, this is really weird. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, uh, you, you know, this is a thing that I think I've said on this podcast before when Jack was on as well, but Guardiola is always kind of railing against this idea that um, everybody in football, and especially football journalists, judge things based on outcomes and results, and they never really look beyond performances. And, you know, this kind of ties into the whole Kane debate, I think, as well, I was writing today. Um because you look at that game and, and, you know, Kane scores two, sets up one, and he has another chalked off, and you just think, oh, well, you know, what a difference he would be making so he wouldn't be in this position. But like you said, with that record that you just mentioned there, you know, could this season really be going that much better? Is it actually realistic to expect that he would make such a difference that um, they really would have won the title by Christmas, as we all thought they already had? Um I think that's I think that's a difficult argument to make, um, despite his performance on Saturday. You know, and you know, even would would City even be playing that differently if they signed him? Um, because I always think we, in that debate we talk about Kane and we talk about you know uh, when when we speak of him as a, as a potential City player or if he had been a City player, people think of him as this kind of traditional number nine and um, this this typical centre forward. And then when they talk about him as, as he's actually playing for Tottenham, they talk about this guy who's changed his game, who's adapted, who's become almost a bit more like a false nine, who's dropping deeper, who's making plays. Would he not just be doing that at City anyway? Would we not just be in the same situation? Um, mm. So, yeah, I, like, I, I think like we do sometimes, and, and Guardiola is always saying this, that we do let perceptions, we do let results shift perceptions. And, you know, I, I, Liverpool have had a pretty, a pretty safe run, I think, as well. To be fair, you know, I was looking at the last few games they played: Brentford, Crystal Palace, Leicester, Burnley, Norwich. Those games are games that you'd expect them to win. Once they start to run into West Ham, Arsenal, I think they've got United, Brighton coming up. You know, slightly more difficult teams. They drop a few points. Suddenly, it looks like it's cities again. You know, even if they just keep up the pace that they've been setting since since the autumn. So, um, yeah, like I say, I, I I feel like it was all the high drama and all that 
made us feel like things changed perhaps more than they actually did. Yeah, I mean, Jack, I mean, we, can, we can talk and think a bit, a bit about Kane's exact role because Conte was sort of interesting, some of the stuff he was saying about that on Saturday. But this this sort of thing around, around City, it is, pro- it is mainly just to do with this sort of am- amnesia of people like us who, who think, well, they just lost the game and, you know, maybe they'll lose the next game um, without looking at the record. But does it also have something to, something to do, let's face it, with Grealish? <laughs> like, you know, obviously the Kane, uh, what, what Kane did on Saturday, uh, the obvious thing to do is point at City and go, well, you obviously bought the wrong guy. Um, but it does kind of look as though maybe they did. Um like, what do you think is going on with him at the moment? I mean, he's, he's apparently got a shin problem. The shin problem happened at exactly the same time as that video of him, uh, you know, trying to get into the beer hall in Manchester. Um, you know, City so said, yeah, he's got a shin problem. Guardiola's been quite vague about what the nature of the problem. Uh, he was at the boxing again. I think Guardiola dropped him around Christmas uh, because himself and Foden went out uh, after a game and came into training the next day, and you know, in, in less than peak uh, condition and Guardiola was open about that the, they they had been punished for that at the time. Then there's this, this sort of stuff recently. He's not there, you know. This is this is beginning to create a pretty bad impression. Yeah, I was pleased to see a, hit, a, a tweet on this from my hero Richard Keys the other day, saying that um, <laughs> if it wasn't for United signing Ronaldo, everybody would be saying that Grealish, a City spending 100 million pounds on Grealish, was the worst signing of the season when they could have got Harry Kane for. 40 million more I mean Grealish just doesn't seem to fit it's like he's he's obviously very good but I think he's kind of good at being the best player on a bad team rather than whereas the the demands of playing for Guardiola and for City are very different you, you know you get a lot I read an interview with him where he said something like yeah I thought I'd get a lot, a lot more of the ball here but in fact I actually get a lot less of the ball uh, which I'm sure is true but it does make me think how much how much thinking actually went into this signing because he's found himself just being a you know, a, a cog in the machine rather than the star of the show. Uh, in terms of what the future holds for Grealish, I don't know. Like, I don't know at what point City will uh, City would pull the plug or try. What, what did you What did you feel when you when you saw? You, you know, Guardiola had uh, he kind of defended Grealish, uh, who who also appeared in that video. There was also Kyle Walker and Riyad Mahrez were out. And, you know, he, he said, look, you know, this is as usual. People got the wrong end of the stick here. The guys went for dinner with their mates. I'm, I'm actually angry because they didn't invite me. I'm so upset because they, did, they didn't invite me. So, he, you know, he went out to, sort of, to bat for them and, and he kind of acted as though he didn't, he didn't mind about this. But bearing in mind that whole incident with, with Grealish and Foden earlier in the season, I just wonder if, if this sort of serene Guardiola, you know, I'm not really bothered about this, conceals... Um, you know, the frenziedly paddling disciplinary feet of Guardiola beneath the water absolutely kicking the hell out of uh, Jack Grealish. Yeah, I mean, I think it's extremely unlikely that Guardiola's relaxed about this in private. Uh, You know, we all know what he's like when it comes to uh, player behaviour, discipline, drinking, eating, weight, all those kind of connected issues with players. Um, and it's, I mean, it's no surprise that he's not really in the team. But then even even if you put the kind of socialising to one side, he, I don't think the way that he plays deserves a spot in the team at the moment. You know, I think City are a better t- probably a better Surely team. Surely he deserves a, a place in the squad, at least. Well... Maybe, but I just think <laughs> you're, City, you're not sure. City you're is not sure if Grealish is good enough to make the squad. Well, he might be good enough to make the bench, but then if you've got Mares, Bernardo, De, De Bruyne, Foden, 
etc. All these guys who are so in tune with what City want, and they're so you know, they're, uh, their ability to link to link with each other and ext- move move the ball around quickly and interchange positions and everything is more valuable to what City are trying to do than Grealish's co- capacity to maybe beat a player or stick it in the top corner. So I think until he, could, so I think it's both. A, I think it's basically a mixture of football and non-football reasons why he's not in the team. But it does make you think: Why did they buy him with all that money in the first place? Just on the um, this kind of related issue, uh, Mark. There was, I mean, obviously we've been talking about Grealish here, but the 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 sensation of the weekend was this video um, involving Phil Foden and his family at the fight, the big the big fight in Manchester on on Saturday night. And this is a pretty bleak video. Like, what this shows is Foden, he's a 21-year-old guy. He's out with his family and his girlfriend. He's being targeted by a group of morons uh, who are, uh, I guess, it's sort of abusing him, harassing him, trying to provoke a confrontation. A confrontation which ensues. There's a brawl. Foden's mother gets punched in the face. Like... You know, really incredible stuff to to witness. Like this guy is is like the outstanding young English player, um, you know, and, and the outstanding young player at Manchester City. To see him involved in this type of chaos uh, is uh, something which Guardiola, I can't imagine, is is too happy about. Um, I don't think. Yeah, obviously Guardiola would prefer that not to have happened. I think you know why everyone's always pretty disgraceful, really. Um, that he was being targeted in that way. And it is a reminder that that is often what, you know, a lot of these players, high-profile figures, will have to put up with, particularly in settings and in venues where, you know, like a boxing event or whatever, where, you know, they might be, you know, behaving themselves perfectly, as I'm sure Phil Foden was, but there was other people will target them and other people will, will see that. But I don't think that, I, I, I don't think from City's point of view that there's any, you know, blame in Foden's case. You know, they they came out and made the statement yesterday that... Um, no, I'm sport. not suggesting no, there's, there's blame. I'm not suggesting there's blame, blame attached to Foden, but it seems it seems like... Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is an unfair thing to say, but if I'm sort of in charge of that team, I'm saying, guys, you know, like, you can't go out. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the... the, the I mean, as far as I... Uh, I, I hear that it's it can even be difficult for for journalists to go out these days without getting involved in some type of uh, confrontation involving I don't know club rivalry or things people have said or are you are you Ollie out or are you you know Ollie? I mean th- this is the kind of this is the kind of thing that goes on now. It's sort of like um, uh, you know if if that's the case for uh, for bottom feeding uh, journalists. Then you can just imagine what it's like when it's somebody like Phil Foden or Grealish or, or you know, any football player. I mean, the the fame obviously makes you a target. Everyone's filming you, and then uh, the chaos will be witnessed by like one and a half million people before Monday morning. Yeah, but what's the alternative? I mean, do you just say to these players that they just have to shut themselves indoors, and you know that you can't actually experience much of a life outside of football? Because you know, like, <laughs> I often think like. There's a lot of us outside of football, and whether it's journalists, whether it's fans, whatever, who who, who probably take more of an interest uh, and in it than than the players themselves do, um, who uh, whose world revolves around it more than theirs theirs really does. To, to many, it's it's a job. To many, it's something that they have dedicated a lot of their life to that they want to succeed at. But they've had to make quite a lot of sacrifices for. And I think you know, if, if <laughs> I understand your point that 
maybe it's wise from City to go and say to them, lads, you can't actually be doing a lot of like social activity or things like that anymore because you are becoming a target. But it doesn't seem <laughs> it just doesn't seem a very realistic way to deal with young men at the end of the day who are, you know, uh, in the in the 20s and 30s and want, and want to experience life like any other young man would want to do. So um, I don't I don't think there's really an answer to it. And other than to say, you know, try and keep your head down and keep out of those situations if possible. And I think what you saw in the video until, you know, his, his mother basically got attacked, that, that's what Phil Foden was doing. He was walking away from the situation. He was going into the box. He stayed out of the way. Um, and that's the best that any any footballer in that situation can do because it's an incredibly difficult situation to deal with. Jack Antonio Conte seemed like a man under pressure. <laughs> Some of it self-inflicted with the interviews he's been doing. He had they had lost three in a row in the Premier League before this. How significant a moment! It, do you get the sense this is just a fleeting? This is just one of those things that in the short and tempestuous uh, time of Antonio Conte at Spurs, people will look back and go, wow, remember the day they beat Man City? Or could this be, did this be something that makes everything else pale into insignificance and be a real starting point for him? I, I don't know. I don't know. I think the whole the whole thing is so much on a knife edge at the moment. It's The last week has been bizarre. You know, Tottenham obviously had these terrible results losing at home to Saints and Wolves. And I think everybody kind of lost their minds a bit. And then the, the Conte interviews came out with Sky Italia and B in sports last week. And to be honest, the content of what he said in those interviews wasn't that surprising, even if he was a little bit more honest than you would expect most managers to be in a pre-match rights holder interview. And everyone kind of, everyone got really, really upset and panicked about it because there's this, the Conte era, even though Conte has obviously made Tottenham much better, the whole thing just feels very brittle. You know, he's always, you know, he's always warning that maybe he won't be here in the future or there's kind of fears that why is he taking this job is it just a step is he just going to do it for five minutes then go and manage a, a richer club somewhere else so it does feel I don't think anyone feels kind of settled or confident or comfortable about about the Conte era uh, but I do think that given how quickly the mood can change I I mean, the, the performance against City was clearly their best result and best performance since Conte's come in. And maybe that will, you know, send everybody in a more positive direction until until it changes back in the other way. But it was, you know, it's one of those ones, would it give you belief? Should it give Spurs fans belief that, hold on a second, I mean, for, for all the baggage that comes with Antonio Conte, he's a bloody brilliant manager who can produce something like that. Oh, yeah, completely. And I, I think that... That had been apparent. Like they had been, in, they had been improving steadily, even though their two games before this one went very badly. But that that win they had there, that was the win that you know that that it was so distinctly Conte the way they went about it. It reminds me a lot of when his Chelsea team beat City in December 2016 on their way to the Premier League title. Like they defended so well, they were very intelligent, they were ruthless on the counter attack. Um, I thought they could even have won the game by more, given given the flow of chances through the match. So yeah, it it was definitely the best they played, and hopefully it will give people at Tottenham a bit of confidence that this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I, th- I I surely have confidence that he knows what he's talking about. If not necessarily, that he's going to be there much longer. Um, he was interesting. I thought some of the stuff he said afterwards uh, about Kane. Uh, obviously, a lot of the questions were about Kane. Um, given the performance that he had given. And he said, he's working very well. He's improving the physical aspect 
And we're working with him also to become a point of reference for us, to become more of a striker. Because sometimes in the past, he liked to go outside of the box to play, but it's very good also to do this, which I think, by which he, I think he meant, uh, you know, to get in the box. And he was doing both um, in, in this game. I mean, this, this is, uh, as everyone's been saying, one of his best performances, the kind of impact that he made with not a lot of, uh, not a lot of touches on the ball. Um, but there's two issues there. First of all, the the question of uh, of his physicality. This is maybe the area that people had doubts about with with Harry Kane, whether he still kind of w- whether he had basically injuries had taken you know a few percentage points off his his sort of top level compared to you know 16, 17, 18, the, the player that he was in those years. Um, when you look at Lukaku and how good he was under Conte, does that sort of suggest the ceiling for Harry Kane? That, that that there might actually be a lot of room for improvement there in the physical sense. The other question is to do with uh, his actual role. Does Conte want him to, to go back to being a, a traditional centre forward, which seems to be in contradiction to what to the direction Kane, uh, Kane has wanted to take his own career in the last few years? Yeah, so the, on the first point, uh, fitness, there were quite a few players when Conte showed up at Tottenham who Conte didn't think were fully fit. Uh, and Kane was one of them. You know, Kane had, didn't, I don't think Kane was necessarily in the best shape at the start of the season. I think he, uh, you know, had a pretty difficult and distracting summer with all the all the transfer saga going on, and he just didn't look like a kind of fully tuned up, uh, fit Kane when Conte came in at the end of October. Um, I think Kane is now looking fitter and stronger every week. I think he, over the last few weeks, even though this is the kind of performance that's got him in the most praise, I think in the last few weeks he has clearly been on top of his old game again. Uh, you know, he'll never be he'll never be the the sort of 23, 24-year-old that he was uh, back under Pochettino, but then, you know, that's just nature. Uh, but I think he is now, he is definitely looking fitter and sharper again now than I've seen him for probably a while, maybe since the end of Pochettino, start of start of Mourinho before that hamstring injury he got uh, during 2920. Uh, so definitely moving in the right direction on fitness. In terms of position, well, M- Mourinho was very relaxed about Kane playing wherever he wanted him to. You know, Mourinho was happy for Kane to play as a 10. And he played, and he was really good as a 10 for, for Mourinho. But I think Conte... Conte doesn't want him to just do that. He wants to both. He basically wants Kane to be two players in one. You know, he wants him to be ruthless in the box and also a kind of playmaking ten for Son. And that's really what he did on Saturday and what he's shown flashes of under Conte. You know, there's not many. I mean, that amazing pass he played round the corner to Son for Kulusevski's goal. Yeah, uh, five minutes in, that was amazing. Like the only other player in the Premier League who can do that is Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, he's such a great passer to ball, Kane. I, I don't see. I don't see why. Why. You shouldn't utilize all those things. Like, why? Why would you just tell Harry Kane to stand up front and you know do a Cristiano Ronaldo when when he's got all this other stuff in his locker? Exactly. So if you can get him playing those passes and then also get him in the box scoring goals, and yeah, he's finishing. He's in a bit of a finishing slump at the moment. He's not taking as many chances as you would normally expect him to. But I imagine that will probably correct itself over time. Like, there's no fundamental reason why he should be a worse finisher this season than he was last season, apart from variance, really. So, and if he can do those two things, and I don't think he's going to get up to last season's numbers, just because he started this season so slowly, but in terms of actual, like, the level of his performances, I certainly think he can be as good as he was last season. He's already starting to look better and better. Mark, I mentioned at the top you were also at Ellen Road yesterday, which looked like a hell of of an atmosphere. What was your big takeaway from that? Um, I think 
uh, from United's perspective, it would be that, you know, yet again, yes, they collapsed and almost threw it all away. But for the first time, they collapsed and then recovered. And that's got to be the big positive that you take. Um, they're a team that at the minute is kind of just about managing, just about functioning properly and is has picked up a couple of results in, in, over the past week that make top four look a little bit healthier really if you if you don't if you just ignore the games played column um then you know that that looks a little bit better but i mean i i have to check myself really because if it was if it, if it was still all he was the manager i think he had these big results against leeds you know smashing six past them or whatever and, and mm-hmm. at the start of the season as well and we always said you can't read too much into these games against leeds just because they're a completely unique proposition. They offer space that no other team does and that the way that United play seems well suited to that. Um, so, you know, that it felt like a slightly different game compared to the other ones in the, under Solskjaer yesterday, but I, I still think that's that's really the case. And, um, yeah, and, and look, it's a positive result. It, it, was, another, it was a kind of a difficult week. Um, you have all these suggestions of rifts within the dressing room as well um that they've been going on all season but they seem to, to take up a bit yeah. of an, a bit more intensity this week that ronaldo and harry Maguire supposedly have this problem i mean is that what's your understanding of what's going on there um well look i think uh, <laughs> when when they come out and and, and deny it is difficult to say you know, because if they're coming out and denying it it's, it's difficult to dispute any specifics around it i think what you would say is that um you know, it, it, when any footballer who's at a club in, in United's position at the minute comes out and says things like, um, you know, we're all just, you know, it, we've had a couple of bad results, but we're all just working hard to focus on the next game. Uh, let's, you know, we, you know, we go again, whatever. Um, does that sound like any kind of normal workplace with regular human beings who are not kind of <laughs> delivered on, on their targets and are under pressure. You know, are they all like, yeah, well, we forget about it. we moved on and we're all we just focused. You know, exactly. No, nobody thinks like that, do they? So, um, and you add in all the public scrutiny that's on top of them, you know, that's, I, I don't think, I, I don't think it's controversial to suggest that the United dressing room has been a difficult place and over the past, you know, over this season, um, as you say, because we've had reports like this, and suggestions of uh, of that sort of thing dating all the way back to the start. So, um, so you know, like I, I think there's there's obviously issues that have been that have been worked out. Um, but yeah, it's difficult to really dispute any any specifics when they come out and forcefully dispute themselves on social media. Can I ask you about um, a player who? Well, he's Manchester United spring flower, uh, Jaden Sancho. Uh, some remarkable statistics from Jaden Sancho's February. Um, in February, Jaden Sancho, two goals, two assists. In the entire season until February, two goals, two assists. Uh, that's, I think, 26 matches, two goals, two assists, and then five, two goals, two assists. So, you know, a bit of an improvement. He's got five shots on target in February and six in the entire rest of the season. So, uh, obviously... What, what do you what do you think is happening here? Things seem to have taken a take it, at last. At last, there are signs of uh, promise about Jaden Sancho. But um, why do you think this is happening? Yeah, well, what happened to the Bundesliga attacks? That's that's the big question, isn't it? Um, I don't know. Like, I think I, I think um, one thing that people said about Sancho, particularly when he was kind of struggling at the start of the season, was that he 
would always benefit from playing in a system where there, there was more structure. Um, and, you know, he's obviously used to a kind of the kind of transition-based play, if you like, of a, of a Bundesliga team. It's where he excelled at Dortmund. And United are perhaps playing slightly more towards that kind of way now under Ranić. But, you know, other than style, he just needs to play games. And there was a period um, around October, November, where it was really looking pretty dicey for Oli um, and that he just he just really wasn't getting in the team. And if you don't have those opportunities, then you can't, you know, get those goals, assists and shots on target and whatever. So I think it's a combination of him being shown that, you know, perhaps he, he, that he does have a, a defined role in this team, um, that now he is getting the opportunity to prove that and that he's playing in a style and in a system that is well-suited to his ability. And, like, I think, you know, it's a bit early to say, but there's going to be... This summer's going to be a huge one at United in terms of uh, you've got players who... You've got a new manager coming in. You've got players that... Players like Pogba will be leaving on a free contract. um, And there's going to be a lot of change. You look at Sancho and you think, well, this is the guy, this is the one player that you've got who you can probably build not not the team but the rest of the attack around at least and he's going to be the marker moving forward and you know that would have definitely been the hope even at the start of the season knowing that all these other problems were coming down the line um but now it's finally starting to be realized that you know there is there is some promise and some potential there last one to you jack are you backing man united to hang on to that fourth spot i mean you've got both Arsenal and now Spurs with the number of games in hand and in, in, in potentially healthy positions if they win those. Who do you think is going to finish fourth? I think United will. Uh, they've obviously got the best players and I feel like they're just starting to turn the corner a bit under Ragnick. Um I'm not fully sold on Arsenal. Um, and I think four, Tottenham... I'm sorry, Arsenal just only four points behind with three games, three in, games hand. in hand. So they're effectively five points ahead if they win those games. I know, I just think it's... Arsenal can look so good when they're good, but I just kind of worry a little bit about them sort of mentally um, under under the pressure that they will be under over the run-in. So I reckon United will nick it. Uh, Tottenham, I think... I think Tottenham are probably the best on their day, but then I think they probably left themselves too much to do, and they don't, you know, I think they're... And they're, they're clearly two or three injuries to key players away from... Yeah, whether that's Kane, Laurie, Son, etc., away from being disastrously bad. Um, so I don't think it'll be them. Okay, Jack, we leave it at that. Mark, brilliant. Thanks a million. Cheers, guys. I don't. I don't think you can describe this as a family show, can you? This. I wouldn't show? have thought so. No, it's right, never well, been well, accused well, of being. I'm, I'm steaming. So. What happened was. He got bottled. He went in with his dog to order food. Had a gun pulled on him as well. He'd actually shot someone in a local Chinese takeaway. So he went home with the dog, got his gun, came back and shot your man. He, he was the pimp of the ladies that were there to perform. The coach came in with a cut in his head. Very sheepish. The physio had a gun pulled on him. Things really got out of hand that year. The coach came in with a cut in his head. Very sheepish. The physio had a gun pulled on him. Things really got out of hand that year. What happened was he went in with his dog to order food and the, the bloke said, listen, mate, your dog can't come in. And he says, he's, he's just standing there. It's a dog. What, what's a dog going to do? He says, sorry, there's a no dogs. Look at the sign. There's a no dogs policy. 
So he went home with the dog, got his gun, came back and shot your man. He survived. But that was the person who was there the Christmas night that night. Yeah. We started the show by talking about a player who did not get very many touches this weekend. Um, sometimes in football, though, you can have too many touches. And it's just not your day. And you probably don't want the ball to come to you any further. And that was the case, unfortunately, with Michaela Moore, the New Zealand player, who scored a hat-trick in the She Believes Cup against the US, unfortunately. And it was a perfect hat-trick. But unfortunately, all of those goals were slammed into her own net. I've never heard of this before. An own goal hat-trick. Right foot, left foot, header. It was right foot, left foot, header. It was absolutely incredible. Oh. Uh, and I, uh, the first I heard about this was when someone forwarded me a, a screen grab of like, you know, the, the live score or whatever, you know, a score app sort of thing. And, that, and you're kind of looking at it going, there's what a mistake. A, why, what, no, what, what am I looking at here? Or like yeah. you're, you're sort of re- reading it. To sort of, and then I sort of saw, you know, more OG four, more OG five, more OG 32 or whatever it was. And <laughs> I have to admit, I did think it was hysterically funny. I mean, it's just, what are you doing? What, what What's going on? What is going on here? What must this have looked like? And I have since seen it. And yeah. actually, the footage of it isn't quite as funny because you do begin to feel sorry for her. Um, I saw the, the footage that I saw was there was this guy, Sebastian Salazar, doing the commentary. And he, and he, you know, he likes to do this, uh, go, you know, the, he, he likes to throw in one of those. Mm-hmm. And he did it for the first two. But by the third one, he was just like, well, <laughs> it's Michaela Moore again. Uh, and I, I did see there was a bit of, um, you know, people go, oh, well, you know, how can you laugh at this and, and so on? It's not fair. And blah, blah. and I kind of think if you can't laugh at a player scoring a hat-trick of own goals, then like, it's, it's what's the point? Yeah. You know, <laughs> football, f- football is is funny sometimes. Um, <laughs> it's funny. You can't like you can you, like you, there's just nothing more to say about that. It is it is it is objectively a hilarious thing. I mean, I'm sure it feels bad for Michaela Moore, but that's you know that's football. Uh, I mean, it's also um, has sort of unearthed the name of. You said you'd never heard of someone doing it. I'd never heard of someone doing it, but um, Stan Van den Bos. Stan van den Bus, uh, a Belgian uh, footballer, most notable or notorious brackets for scoring a hat trick of own goals <laughs> in one match while playing for Germinal Eckerin against Anderlecht in the 94 95 season of the Belgian oh. Jupiler League. <laughs> Not exactly notorious either, like, you know. <laughs> Anderlecht, <laughs> Anderlecht won 3 2. However, a video from Actuel TV appears to show that while he scored two own goals, and you I mean, lots of people have scored two own goals. You know, John Walters scored two own goals, didn't he, uh, in a game against Chelsea and missed a penalty in that game. Jamie Carger scored two own goals in a game against Manchester United, which was not great. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, TV, a British show, why he scored two own goals. The third was, in fact, put across the line by an attacker. So he was framed. Uh, or, or, or maybe falsely claimed the own goal, realizing that this would bring him the notoriety uh, that otherwise uh, was beyond his grasp, old Stan van den Bos. <laughs> uh, we would never have heard of him if it wasn't for this. Uh, and uh, I'm glad this phantom that, third goal. I'm glad that his achievement also can bask in some of the reflected glory from uh, Michaela Moore's uh, incredible wonder show. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks so much for listening today. If you are not a member, we will talk to you again next Monday. But we would love to see you. 
on all those other days of the week. So sign up now, secondcaptains.com, five or a month, plus a little bit of VAT, depending on whereabouts in the world you're listening to us. As for all you members, we will talk to you guys again tomorrow and there'll be plenty of Champions League coverage during the week as well. Chat to you then. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.